Awesome. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the Weekly Space Hangout. My name for July 5th, 2012. My name is Fraser Kane. I am the publisher of Universe Today, and I'm joined this week by Alan Boyle from MSNBC's Cosmic mm -hmm. Blog, uh, Jace Major from, uh, well, from Lights of the Dark and Universe Today and all other kinds of places. <laughs> I should go with like a permanent way to describe you. <laughs> um, Nancy Atkinson, from uh, senior editor from Universe Today, and Nicole Gallucci, uh, the noisy astronomer from CosmoQuest. Um, and so this week, we are going to be talking mostly about the dramatic discovery, of the slow motion discovery of the Higgs boson, uh, the case of the disappearing dust cloud, the death of astronaut Alan Poindexter, and a speedy, speedy pulsar. All right, well, I think we need to definitely start with the big news this week, which is the, uh, the discovery of the Higgs boson. So, so, Alan, why don't you start and just sort of give, us, give everyone the big explainer on what happened. Okay, I'll correct you. Uh, first of all, uh, they say it's not the discovery of the Higgs boson. It's the discovery of what is likely a Higgs boson. And uh, so it's been interesting to see how they explain all this, that uh, for, for uh, decades uh, this thing that's called the Higgs boson has been hypothesized. Uh, you know, there's this very su successful theory in particle physics called the standard model, and it works great, only there's one little thing about it uh, that people came across in, uh, as they were developing it in the 60s is that uh, it it said that all particles should just be massless like photons and they should be just uh, zooming around the universe at the speed of light uh, and uh, nothing would really stick together. And so uh, Peter Higgs, who is a Scottish uh, professor of physics, came up with this idea along with some others uh, that there would be some sort of field that was created just an instant after the Big Bang that would give some particles mass, uh, other particles not so much mass, and some particles no mass at all. For example, there are a couple of particles called the W and the Z boson that are very heavy. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, there's the photon, the, the carrier for uh, light, for electromagnetic energy, which has no mass and, of course, goes at the speed of light. Who knew? Uh, anyway, uh, they've been uh, looking for this Hig evidence of this Higgs field and a particle that's associated with it called the Higgs boson for, for a long time. And in fact, that's the main reason why this $10 billion particle collider known as the Large Hadron Collider uh, was built because it had the energy that should be able to detect uh, this, this particle that has a role in giving everything else mass. Some people have uh, compared it to uh, the, the sea that the universe is swimming in. Uh, so it's uh, been an intriguing thing, a little hard to explain, uh, and hopefully if people have questions about it, we might be able to tackle that uh, in the question and answer phase of it. But the bottom line is that they've been looking at the uh, LHC uh, for this darn thing for a couple of years, and they finally got 
what's called 10 inverse femtobarns of data. It's basically the equivalent of one quadrillion proton-on-proton collisions, and that gives you enough statistical information to, to do something with. And they found uh, collisions that gave them enough confidence to say, yes, we have found this Megillah, this Higgs boson that we've been looking for and we've been spending all this time and money to do. Uh, they don't, you know, now they're casting it in the form of uh, we, we see this particle, but we don't know what its characteristics are. We don't know if it fits what's predicted by Peter Higgs for the standard model. Uh, if it is not exactly what's predicted, that's going to be more interesting because then you've got all the theorists trying to figure out, well, what will explain this? Uh, you can get into all sorts of uh, ideas of extra dimensions. Um, six or seven dimensions that we can't perceive but are part of the fabric of the universe. Uh, also the idea that uh, there are there's a supersymmetric particle, kind of a, a twin for every particle that's out there and uh, that we haven't perceived but that we might be able to get a handle on using the Large Hadron Collider. Uh, it could explain dark matter, you know, any weird idea that's out there, you could uh, see this as kind of the possibility of opening the door to explore those weird ideas. And so that's why physicists are so excited about this. It's the, it's the biggest new thing in maybe 40 years. And uh, so champagne corks are popping and uh, people are, you know, getting ready for more years of uh, work to investigate this at the LHC. So it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, I think that this, and as I mentioned sort of in my introduction, this is an example of a uh, of a discovery being made in slow motion. I mean, the, the yeah. discovery of the Higgs today was absolutely, or yesterday, was, was no surprise to any of us who have been reporting on this. We've been reporting on this for years yeah. now. <laughs> and, and I think there was a big um, sort of announcement, sort of a semi-announcement, even just a couple of months ago, where they said, we're pretty sure. But they said it in a sort of, we're 99% sure, as opposed to 99.999% sure. So it's just, yeah. it all just comes down to the level of, of accuracy. Right, and so, right. You know, and I think this is them being very, very conservative about the way they, they approach this. I mean, if you, if you found something to a 99% accuracy, you would say, that's, that's almost certainly for sure there. But that mm -hmm. wasn't enough for them. They need to really show off and take the level of accuracy to the point yeah. of... 99% you know. is only, what, three sigma? I mean, that's like... Blah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> only three sigma. we got to, got to take so this, what, was it to five, five sigma? Right. Yeah. In the days before the announcement, that was the big question, is how confident they were going to be. Uh, when you talk about sigma or standard deviations, you're talking about uh, the, like, the possibility that uh, what you're seeing is just kind of a statistical fluke, and people compare it to flipping coins or throwing going dice. Uh, if you're at three sigma, as, as Nicole said, you're somewhere around, you know, one in a thousand, uh, maybe uh, even a smaller chance that it could be a fluke. Uh, when you're at five sigma, that's supposed to be the standard for discovery in particle physics. And then you're up to the one in three million or one in 3.5 million chance that it's... Yeah, 99.9999. Five or six five nines, percent. yeah. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. yeah five, yeah, and a, and a five. So you're, you're, you're <laughs> but, really, uh, really... 
and, so, and so they they thought, well, are they really going to get to five? And it turns out that at least at the Atlas experiment, they did just get to five uh, for the sigma, and so that's why they could call it a discovery. Uh, there are two uh, experiments, two main experiments uh, that are looking for the Higgs at the LHC. The other is the CMS experiment, and they got to 4.9. So uh, they're they're you know it's it's pretty good. Uh, each experiment acts as a backup for the other, and so uh, that's why people are feeling confident enough to call it a discovery, even though it's just right at the edge of what you would formally define a discovery as. And yeah. so this is, of course, you know, one of these particles that's predicted by the standard the standard model. So what does that leave us for a lot of the predictions of the standard model? It's the last fundamental particle that was predicted, and so this is uh, the Director General of CERN called it uh, something like uh, the the final uh, cornerstone, the final missing cornerstone, and so. The big question now is, okay, uh, we hope that we can find enough to extend the standard model or find out uh, if there's a better way of describing the universe. That's what all this is about. It's people ask, uh, well, gee, is this going to make my life easier? Is my iPhone going to be, <laughs> you know, now with Higgs boson? Uh, and yeah. uh, it's not that easy, but it really goes into how the fabric of the universe is structured. And uh, eventually, you know, maybe 20 years from now, we may actually have uh, something that is Higgs-powered. Who, who knows? Just as uh, the revolution in uh, quantum physics led to all sorts of things related to nuclear power or microwave ovens or iPhones, uh, you could have the same thing. You just can't tell, and that's the exciting and fun thing uh, about science. Yeah, and so of course... You, oh, go ahead, Nancy. Well, of course, not everybody was sure that they were going to find it. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Stephen Hawking said he lost a $100 yeah. bet uh, that they found this. Yeah. I like making those kinds of bets, though, right? Where if they find the most exciting thing in physics over the next 40 years, I have to pay for you know 100 yeah. bucks. Otherwise, I win 100 bucks. Either way, you really come out ahead. That's right. Yeah. Uh, he's a, Stephen Hawking is a terrible gambler. He just <laughs> bets with his heart, not with his head. Yeah. Um, so, oh, if, if I, just, I didn't mention this uh, in the beginning, but if anybody wants to ask us any questions or comments, there's actually three places you can post your questions. There's the uh, the Google Plus uh, comment thread underneath the Hangout itself. You can just post a comment into there. There's also over on YouTube, if people are watching this live on YouTube, we're watching the comments from there. And we're also, if you want to post a question on Twitter using the hashtag space hangout, we will also catch it there. So uh, as long as you're doing one of those three locations, we'll be able to, to catch the questions that, that come through thanks to the very cool comment tracker app on uh, Google Plus. Um, so... So, I, actually, and this is why I was talking about this, Jay Stephen Windsor wants to know, do you think they've been more cautious with this announcement following the media hype over the light speed neutrino, neutrino debacle? Yeah, I think uh, uh, that's in the back of the mind of uh, these folks who are, you know, just want to make sure. Uh, this is different uh, in that when you had that experiment with the faster than light neutrinos, uh, you had one experiment that was finding it, and that's basically why they set up these two separate detectors at, at uh, the LHC, is that if there's some sort of systemic error, uh, they would be able to catch it. And in fact, there, there are a couple of things in the observations that don't quite match uh, 
what was predicted for the Higgs boson, and that's why people were, were reluctant to come out and say, yes, this is the Higgs boson. Uh, but uh, the fact that they don't see the same anomalies in both detectors uh, would suggest that uh, this may be a systemic error because of the equipment, or it's just because they didn't have enough statistical information about this particular way of looking for the Higgs in order to really get a good, confident result. So, but I mean, this is the pretty much the reason of existence of the Large Hadron Collider. So, I would assume that they had, they had sort of baked the release schedule right into the facility itself. That you know they had very specific milestones of detection levels of sigma detections, and they knew exactly how they were going to release and announce their findings as mm -hmm. things unfolded. I mean, there was, this was definitely... I mean, the thing with the neutrino discovery, right, it, it, was, a, it was one of those, that's weird right. kind of mm -hmm. discoveries, right? And so you yeah. had the situation where people were like, that's weird, let's ask some friends to help us figure out this weird thing. Yeah, you're, completely you're right. Unexpected, sure. yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. I think that's where you get this, where things, where the media story doesn't unfold in the way that you were expecting. But in the case of the Higgs, Higgs you know, they knew, I'm sure, down to the last degree, every single way this story is going to unfold, unless it was something super weird and interesting, or they, you know, blew up Switzerland. That, well, you know, uh, the thing about this is that there is an annual high energy physics conference uh, this year. It's in Melbourne, Australia, and so at every year at this conference, uh, the folks from the LHC and other uh, high energy physics experiments uh, provide an update on their findings. And so there was a little bit of a rush quality to this. There were a lot of sleepless nights in order for people to get these results ready. Uh, they wanted to be able to announce it at CERN because that's, you know, that's who's paying the bills. And they scheduled it in the middle of the night for the US because that was convenient for France and, and Switzerland, as well as for uh, Australia. And so we were kind of left in the middle. But uh, they still have a little bit of cleaning up to do on the figures. And uh, so there's going to be a scientific publication of these results, but it won't be published until the end of the month. So they, they really did have to scramble in order to, to hit the timing for, for this announcement. What well, so was interesting it. on this seminar, um, right at the beginning, was they, they had mentioned that it was the first time something like this was announced simultaneously on multiple continents. So that, 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 yeah. was, uh, that was really exciting, too. The first major, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, the first major particle discovery that they had this kind of technology to announce it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, or, or who, I guess, is asking, what are they going to do with the LHC now? Do they pack it up and mothball it? <laughs> Not at all. No, no way. It's uh, to find dark matter. Yeah. All the other fun stuff. Yeah. Extra dimensions. I'm rooting yeah. for extra dimensions. I want my wormhole. And aren't there all <laughs> the particles that are predicted by supersymmetry? I mean, they've got a whole... Oh, yeah. Uh, this is just the beginning. Uh, I think that uh, to, to draw the conclusion that, okay, they've uh, detected this particle and so now everybody can go home is totally backwards. This is just the start of the real job. So this is like the first, it's like the opening bell uh, at, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, at the stock market that uh, there's, there's a lot of trading yet to do. Cool, very cool. All right. Well, why don't we move on a bit? Um, so, Nancy Eckerton, you uh, you posted a story this week about and the announcement of the death of astronaut Alan Poindexter. So, so what happened? Yeah, this was just uh, tragic. There's no really other 
other way to say it. Um, uh, Alan Poindexter was a shuttle astronaut, and he was one of the commanders for one of the final shuttle missions, SS-131, in April of 2010. Um, he, he and his family were vacationing last weekend in Florida, and he and his two sons were riding jet skis, and, and one son on a jet ski crashed into his dad and brother who were riding together on another one. And um, it sounded like uh, that Poindexter was conscious for a while and then passed out and and uh, just never regained consciousness again. So it was um, just one of the mo most sad things I've ever heard. And for me, it was uh, it kind of hit home because I actually had the chance to interview Poindexter when I was down in Florida in uh, 2010 for a couple of months. And um, so I had the chance to interview him and talk to him. And so, you know, somebody that you've actually met who's, who's passed away just kind of hits home a little bit more. I don't, I don't know if you have anything else to say about that. That was a really sad story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was only 51 years old. And he had recently left NASA to go back to the, um, to the Navy. He was um, one of the head people at the Naval Academy. And he was a shuttle commander, correct? Yes. Yeah. He piloted one mission, um, I think, back in 2008, and then was the commander in 2010. Hmm. Yeah, it's reminiscent of uh, Pete Conrad's death, uh, who died in a motorcycle accident. Uh, very tragic. Uh, you, you don't think about that. You, you think of uh, astronauts putting their lives on the line and, and risking it in space, and here there's... Uh, something more every day. Uh, it, it really adds a, another twist to the tragedy. I think uh, point, what I remember Poindexter for is uh, that he was the guy who addressed that question of sex in space, who, who said, uh, I believe he's the guy who said that, you know, we're very professional up there, that uh, this is something that does not enter into the, to the relationships of astronauts when they're in a mission. And so he was one of the guys who was willing to take on that question, which, uh, you know, everybody wonders about and nobody talks about. So he talked about it. Yeah, he, uh, he, his impression, the impression that he left on me that he was a no-nonsense <clears throat> no kind of guy that would, uh, but that he would address questions like that, that he would take things head on and and uh, address things like that. But I, the one thing I remembered him saying was that at the time that uh, th they were preparing for the mission, they were thinking that the STS-131 mission was going to be Discovery's last mission. And they were still deciding on doing that STS-135, the final shuttle mission, if they were going to do that or not. And uh, he said that he liked to think of this as Discovery's uh, first last mission. So. All right, well, uh, why don't we move on then. Uh, so, Jason, uh, you have a story this week about the case of the disappearing dust cloud. I do. Um, it's, kind of a, uh, it's kind of a cosmic mystery story here. Um, so the, the basic of it is, during an infrared sky survey in 1983, astronomers had identified a star with a large cloud of dust surrounding it. And see, I'll do a little uh, audio visual here. So the star, if you're gonna, you can imagine a big cloud of dust, and then right in the middle, you've got the star. And that star is designated TYC 
four, one. Stay with me now. Two, six, five, <laughs> two, one. It's a fun name. So, I'm going to put chuckle here. Can, can I point out that if, if I was your astronomy TA, I would take off points for making the star pointy. Stars oh. don't actually have points. <laughs> Come on, that's what, that's what they look like, right? Sure, okay. yeah, no. Just to make the sense. doctor happy. Thank you. Okay. So, the star is 450 light years away, and they thought that what they had found was the beginnings of a solar system. Uh, that gas and dust cloud was the protoplanetary disk that planets formed from. That's really interesting. Fast forward to 2008. Astronomers look at the same star with a different infrared observatory. And it ends up looking a lot like what they saw. Now, that, now they, they initially found it during a uh, sky survey in 83. So in 2008, they saw pretty much the same thing. In 2009, they looked again. This time, the brightness of the dust cloud was only a third of what they had seen the year before. So, you know, it kind of dimmed out a bit. And the following year, they looked again. Dust cloud's gone. It disappeared entirely. Now, that's really odd. It's always been thought that planets take some time to form, uh, in, like in the order of hundreds of thousands of years. That's quick in cosmic time scales, but it's about pretty much forever for us. But what they saw here with TYCA241 is, in fact, planetary formation. It turns out it could happen a lot faster than anybody thought. Uh, on the other hand, the star could have somehow chucked all the dust out of its system. Uh, that, they'll have to do more research to see if that's indeed the case. But the really interesting thing here is that astronomers have traditionally looked for these dust clouds around stars to find evidence of planetary formation. But if planets form quicker than they thought, and the dust clouds are only fleeting, then there may be a lot more solar systems out there that we can't directly observe. So that's, that's the bit of exciting news that, that's going on right now um, in regards to TYC 82412652. What kind of star? Is it a massive star? Is it it is. Um, I'm not sure the mass of the star. It's a relatively young star. Um, it's in the uh, star-forming cluster Scorpio Centaurus. So, and it's, uh, and like I said, it's about 450 light years away, um, but uh, I'm not sure the, the exact type of star. But, you know, within, within two to three years, that bright infrared, that infrared bright dust cloud disappeared. So, where'd it go? What happened? Did it, did it, uh, did planets form? And then, you know, as somehow planets, like, like, formed out of that and the dust, the rest of the dust blew away within two or three years, uh, totally, you know, making us rethink how planets form, how quickly they form, or did the sun do something and, and blow all that dust out, again, within two to three years. So they, they looked at this with a lot of different telescopes. Um, uh, there must have been five or six different observatories, including uh, the, uh, the WISE uh, Sky Telescope, that looked at this, and they pretty much all saw the same thing. So... It's, it's kind of an interesting little, little bit of a space oddity. So that's it? It's just a mystery? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. What happened? More to come. Stay well, what time. happened? Don't know. Space lasers. Space lasers. <laughs> I mean, you know... <laughs> they must have some <laughs> theories. Come on. Well, yeah, like we can't see the planets directly. So if planets did form, 
they can't they, they, they can't spot them yet and and, uh, and at least not through any of the uh, techniques that they've you know been finding exoplanets with to date um, whether transit or you know d uh, discerning the the wobble of the star or whatever so they haven't they haven't actually found planets here they saw the disk and now it's not there two years time well, yeah, if the star if the star went through some massive flare events like you could imagine a um, it's, you know, this crazy stellar wind that yeah. blows it all out. Yeah, especially if it's a massive star. Um, or space lasers. It's, uh, yeah. I, I will, I will uh, prescribe to the space lasers theory. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, but that's that, you know, that, that may make us rethink how planets form. Uh, that's the interesting bit. How, and, and how many of them are out there? How many solar systems are out there if they don't necessarily have to look for stars with protoplanetary disks because if they disappear quickly then they just there just could be a lot more solar systems out there so okay. so i guess what's really great about the story is is that the scientists discovered this situation and they just announced it and then just kind of went wow yeah, you know, like what? Why is it? Why is this happened? But we don't. We do not know. It's one your turn. You know, Feel free to figure it out. We discovery, and now we have more questions. So right. what? We, what did we discover? We discovered more questions. Okay, yeah. so apparently, uh, according to Stefan de Decker in the comments, it's a sun-like star, um, which means it's not a massive star that is has super crazy stellar winds, like I was thinking. Uh, and Aaron Wood thinks it's the Genesis device. <laughs> Better than lasers. But yeah, but I mean, I mean, we're all being so flippant about it, and almost we're, you know, I, I wonder if these, if the researchers took a, you know, a ribbing from their, from their colleagues. But, but I mean, this is fantastic, right? To 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 come up with a mystery and then to just leave it as a mystery and and to just say, because I mean, in many cases, the pressure is on to explain it at the same time that you announce the mystery. Oh, right. I, I feel you know? like and I'm, I'll, I'm sure in the, they, they propose some ideas about you know, planetary formation or, or other things, as you said, but, but at the end of the day, it's going to require a ton more confirmation. So I've got a, I mean, uh, um, a, a, a quote here from the uh, research paper's co-author, Ben Zuckerman, at UC Los Angeles. Um, he says, it's as if you took a conventional picture of the planet Saturn today and then came back two years later and found that its rings had disappeared. So you know, it, it, it's one of those it's one of those you know WTF moments in <laughs> in, uh, in in science and astronomy, and it, it leaves you know it just begs for more research and and what exactly is going on here, and and that's and you know uh, discoveries are one thing, but you know these other types of questions are exciting too. I feel like or, most papers I read are more along the lines of, we don't really know, here's some <laughs> hypotheses. So it's, I don't think it's that uncommon to, to publish something with this many question marks. We have discovered yeah. the disappearing gas cloud to a five sigma level. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so Nicole, you've got a story about a speedy pulsar. Yes, um, I'm going to uh, post a link in the thing because you all have to go see the picture. Um, so this is an x-ray image. Did someone do that? I'm going to post it. Okay, so this is a picture from um, the Chandra. Uh, I just posted it in the comments. Oh, I guess I could post it in, in our chat as well. Huzzah! Copy paste. Okay. There's a delay so this, for the yeah. <laughs> this is uh, so. 
uh, we're looking at a picture, or maybe hopefully looking at a picture. Um, it's it's got uh, optical X-ray and infrared uh, wavelengths all up in it. It's uh, the X-ray is from the Chandra Space Telescope, and there's this close-up of this thing that looks kind of like there we go. Um, there's this there's this little green thing. Um, so that the purple the purple splotchy gas in the middle is a supernova remnant. So this is the material left over after a massive star explodes at the end of its life. Uh, and then over at the bottom, so where he's kind of centering on, is this green thing that looks kind of like a little, it kind of looks like it has like a cometary tail on it. And so that is actually thought to be a pulsar, which is a type of neutron star, which is a super, super dense stellar remnant. It's the, it's the core of what used to be the massive star. Uh, so the green thing that used to be at the core of the massive stars all the way out there, outside of the purple region, so what do you imagine happened? Uh, as the star exploded, uh, the, the, um, it, it didn't explode perfectly symmetrically. And so the core, the neutron star that's left over, got a kick. And so it's actually flying away um, from the supernova remnant at some ridiculous speed that I'm going to find so I don't... Uh, Around six million miles per hour, uh, this this neutron star is speeding away from the center of the supernova remnant. Uh, so this is just a, an example. So this is the speediest pulsar that's been found. Um, they haven't confirmed it. So a, a pulsar means that you see uh, usually radio and sometimes X-ray um, pulses from it, and that's when the neutron star is spinning and it's got a hot spot on it. And so it's kind of like a lighthouse. You get swept with the beam every once in a while. They looked for pulses, pulses from it with the Parkes Radio Telescope in Australia and didn't find them. Um, that's not too surprising because it's pretty far away. It's further away than you would expect to see pulsar pulses. Um, but everything else about it uh, indicates that it's probably a neutron star because you can't, they, they see nothing there in the optical and infrared images. Uh, and it has a spectrum in the X-ray that you would expect um, a neutron star to have. And so you have neutron stars speeding away from this uh, supernova remnant. Uh, there are other known uh, high-velocity pulsars like this around the galaxy that are ejected out of their supernova and speed around the galaxy and can even escape the galaxy um, and kind of and wander off on their own. So this is, but this is the fastest that's been discovered so far. Um, so yeah, this is, I mean, obviously this, is, this object is now going to be leaving the galaxy, leaving the, I mean, there's, that's so much velocity that nothing's yes. going to be keeping it nearby. Yes, depending on what direction it's pointing in. I mean, if it's pointing out of the plane of the galaxy, then surely it would. But if it's going through the galaxy, it would take quite a bit longer and could possibly interact with something else. Um, but yeah, pretty much ro rogue pulsar left over. Now, is this, I mean, this is a case of a, of a binary situation, though, right? So Not necessarily. No? No. So, so, it's so it's either this is just like the outcome of the supernova event? Right. Yeah. Or, so yeah. In, in other words, there was some kind of um, like what, asynchronous explosion? Like it didn't... Yeah, there was some non-symmetry non, non in the explosion. So it doesn't necessarily all go off in every direction in the same velocity. And uh, computer models show this. You, you, you can get a little kick uh, to, to the central pulsar and it can go off in some other direction. It's unusual to get it at such high speeds, um, but yeah, it's it's fairly common to get the pulsar offset because it's been kicked out a little bit. And is is something like that also possible in a binary situation where you've got two objects orbiting one another? And if you have, if you usually if you have 
three objects interacting, one of them will get kicked out. So if you have if you have a triplet system, one thing could get kicked out um, out of that system pretty easily. Not necessarily in a binary. It's kind of harder to do. But you can get this amount of energy. I mean, it's it's really just like a huge rocket going off on the side of this of this pulsar, the supernova remnant that's right. that's kicking it with that level of, of velocity. Yeah. I mean, and it, and I wonder how much of a um, instability or how much of a difference it is compared to the rest of the explosion, because in, you know there was star in all directions when it detonated, and right. yet it had a little bit of a concentration in one direction. Yeah, that I don't that I don't know enough about, but yeah. Now, Nicole, do they have an idea um, as to what's causing that X-ray jet that's coming out to the to the uh, maybe to the two o'clock position in that Chandra image? Mm. There's like a long purple strand. Yeah, I think that might be a shock wave. I'll, I'll um. But I'm I'll not I'm not sure. I'll zoom in here again. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can get it to come up here. Yeah, so they think it's a bow shock from the pulsar slamming. So there's, there's lots of material out there from not only the supernova itself, but the massive star before it went supernova was probably giving off gas and, and all kinds of uh, junk in it out of its stellar wind. And so as the pulsar is going through that, it's heating up. It's going faster than the sound speed in that gas and creating a bow shock. Um, so that's probably what that is. Wow. Hmm. Just imagine the huge levels of energy. I mean, to move a star from nothing to six billion miles an hour in a yeah. fraction of a second, that's massive amounts of energy. Yep, pretty much. And that's, that's, that's a typical star exploding. It's all good. The <laughs> galaxy just does that. Yeah. That's astonishing. All right, so uh, so as I mentioned sort of earlier on the show, uh, if people want to ask us any questions or comments about about this or sort of any other space stories that might have broken this week, we're we're glad to kick around for another probably 10, 15 minutes and, and answer them. Um, so you can post a question onto the Google Plus feed uh, where the show is appearing on Google Plus. You can post your comment in the the YouTube live feed where the show is being shown up on on. Uh, on YouTube, and you can also uh, post a, a question on Twitter with the hashtag SpaceHangout, and we'll be glad to get to it. Um, so if anyone has any questions, comments, feedback, additional ideas, additional pieces they wanted to mention, we're, we're glad to go through them. Um, okay, it probably did not Roomba it up. <laughs> Sorry, reading the comments. Tom Higgins says, does one of these speedy pulsars go through the once clouded star and Roomba it up? The, the, the pulsar used to be the core of the star itself, so it was part of the star, uh, and it's what's left over after the star has exploded. So it's not like it came through and caused the supernova. The supernova happened because the star ran out of fuel. But if, you know, space is big and it's very unlikely that something like this would come near a star system, but if it did, you can imagine it would, it would disrupt things and be interesting. Uh, Robin Clark mentioned, wouldn't it be a huge holy crap if planets did form in just a few years? I mean, you know, back to Jason's story, wouldn't that almost completely overturn conventional ideas of planetary formation? Well, pretty much, because, I mean, the traditional, the traditional thought was that planets take, you know, they take time to form. Uh, cosmically, they form quickly. Um, but in our human lifespans, I mean, we're talking about, a hundred, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. So, yeah, I mean, the idea that, that something could accrete 
within two or three years is, I mean, that's, it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of unheard of. But here we have, you know, this, this disc and, this, and, and some evidence that, that, you know, makes, uh, poses the question, I guess you could say, you know, that this might actually be the case. Yeah. Um, oh, here's, back to the Higgs boson. So uh, Frank Ways at, it gives us the, the joke we've been hearing. A Higgs boson walks into a church and the priest says, thank God you made it, we can't have mass without you. I need to point out that that joke should be attributed to Brian Mallow, the science comedian. The uh, graphic's been posted everywhere and has not been attributed to the, to the source. So go, Brian. And then, and then the priest says, oh, well, it doesn't matter. Oh. <laughs> Ouch. Um, uh, I think we've actually covered all of the questions that we have. Yeah, so one of, the, one of the things as well, um, so if people are kind of wondering what they're seeing, we record this episode of the Weekly Space Hangout every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific. Um, I kind of messed up the event uh, today, so I apologize for that. Um, but uh, in future, if you, um, I'll try and post the event, but we do them every Thursday on Google+. Plus. It'll show up in my feed and then, and then in everyone else's feeds when they share it. Uh, but if you aren't able to stick around and watch it live, you can always watch the recorded versions on YouTube after the fact. So there's going to be, it gets posted over, it sort of automatically posted into the Universe Today feed. And then we also do a really nice job of archiving them all over on CosmoQuest, which is the, uh, the project that Nicole's working with. So you can always watch them there. Also, we've been putting the audio of the Weekly Space Hangout into the Astronomy Cast audio feed. We actually extract the audio. So if you have been, you know, if you listen to Astronomy Cast, we we have sort of episodes of Astronomy Cast, and then interspersed with episodes of the uh, um, of the of the Weekly Space Hangout. So so that's another place. If you just want to get the audio and you just want to listen to this as a podcast, which would be, you know, it's a reasonable experience. You can you can do that as well. So you can go to Astronomy Cast. You can search for Astronomy Cast on uh, in iTunes, and you can subscribe to it there. Um, hey, so, Alan. Before before we go before we go yeah. off, uh, congratulations, ten thousand tweets. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so then, how can people? I, I saved it for you. <laughs> did you did you just do it now? Alan's, uh, Alan's ten thousand tweet was the uh, invitation to come join us at the weekly space hangout today. Oh, nice. There we go. Thanks, Alan. We, yeah. um, so, uh, so where can people find uh, more about the uh, participants? So, Alan, where can we find out more about you? Cosmiclog.com is an easy one. You can also look at space.msnbc.com for the full spectrum of space news. Awesome. And Jason? Uh, I'm at lightsinthedark.com. Uh, that's my regular space blog. I also write for Universe Today, uh, Discovery News, and you can find me on Twitter at jpmajor. Nancy? Well, I'm the senior editor of Universe Today, so you can find me there. I also do podcasts for the NASA Lunar Science Institute. You can find me over there. And I do have a personal blog, which I keep saying that I'm going to keep, uh, try to write some more, but I never find the time. But I'll just keep you too busy. Yeah, I'll just keep trying. <laughs> it's nancyatkinson.com. Yeah. Good luck, Nancy. Thanks. By the way, there's more you need to report on. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Nicole, where are we find a moment? Uh, I live at noisyastronomer.com on the internet. Uh, Cosmoquest.org is, is a project I'm working on now as a postdoc, and I occasionally blog for Discovery News and Skeptic. Perfect. 
All right, and of course, uh, you can find me at Universe Today. And uh, also, the, uh, the cool thing that we do is on the next big thing we're doing is every Sunday night we do our virtual star party. This is where we hook up a bunch of telescopes into a hangout like this and broadcast live views from the telescope. So we'll show you whatever's up right now. I'm not really sure what's up right now. Saturn, Mars, the moon, the like sky. the and some deep sky objects and stars. So it's a really good time. We bring uh, you know various participants of this will show up and explain. Uh, so we have you know probably try to get four or five telescopes plus astronomers together in a hangout and uh, and talk about it. The other thing that we're doing on Saturday. Um, I'm not sure the exact time. Uh, one of the astronomers is going to be doing a live tutorial on doing astrophotography. So he's going to be setting up his telescope, showing how he takes live views of the planets with video and then uses stacking and stuff to actually create some of the really nice uh, photographs that we do. So, so you have an interest in that. If you, if you post, um, if you come to my feed, you can see I posted the event. It's, it's Ahmet Kale is going to be doing that. He's in Turkey. So I think he'll probably be... It's going to be doing nighttime. He's probably going to be doing Saturn. So that's probably the target that he'll be working on. And he's a phenomenal astrophotographer. I don't think he knows we're throwing this much pressure on him. But, uh, but yeah, so that's going to be on Saturday, I think at 9 Pacific. But, uh, but yeah, you can, you can check my feed as I link to the event. I apologize how hard it is to find all this stuff. We're still working out, working out all the kinks. All right, well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thanks, for everybody, for watching. And we will see all of you uh, next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.